Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days when the number, remember they had just, Peter and, and the apostles had just brought, been just brought before the council there. They told him not to speak anymore. And Gamaliel gave that, that, um, that, that bit of, uh, of reasoning, logic. And they said, okay, yeah, you're right. And then they beat on him and sent him away and charged him not to, not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. And then they went straight to the temple and daily they were teaching in every house, teaching Jesus Christ and his gospel. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, and thank God that it was, uh, that, that there have been people throughout the ages that have stood and declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the multiplication there came not by men, but by God. God added. He added daily to the church such as should be saved. And we, we recall that from Acts chapter 2. So these principles carrying forward sinners saved by grace, declaring that grace in the gospel, God then saving more sinners from their sins. And I believe that's how it has happened um, unto this day through the Lord's assembly. So the disciples were multitude. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Okay, so remember when the uh, there was a whole bunch of people that had come to Jerusalem. They're all new, they're all believers. They're all converts, and they um, they they some of them had need, and they sold what they had, and they divided it out among themselves. Well, of that number, there were those that were widows. And going back into the the Old Testament, uh, widows and widows indeed were to to be cared for by the community, the uh, those of their families, those of their loved ones, and so on. They were to be cared for, and we're gonna we're gonna cover uh, the care of widows perhaps at another time. But no, that's the issue at hand. There were widows, and there were two different kinds of people, and one group was receiving favoritism of the ministration or, or of the divvying out of stuff to help them uh, to, along their way. Now, the Grecians, they weren't Greeks. They were Hellenists. And what does that mean? Well, they're Jews that had adopted Greek culture. So of these people that were all round about and so on and so forth, uh, the Greek culture, uh, customs of worship and idolatry and all that kind of stuff, had, had uh, grabbed hold of many of these Jews. So they all were Jewish. They all were of the seed, or most were of the seed of, of Abraham. But some were Grecians. They had adopted the, the Hellenistic point of view of living. Some of them, even moving from these different places, um, had Hellenistic uh, citizenship, that birthrights. Okay, uh, Paul. Remember, he said he was a Roman citizen. So some of the Jews had citizenship in other places. So these Grecians were of the children of Abraham, but they had different citizenship. Okay, and then the Hebrews, as they're known, were the Jews that had converted from Judaism, law, legalism, mosaic stuff, and they had converted to faith in Christ. But all of the above are the children of God. They are members of, this assembly, of the assembly there in Jerusalem. And some of them had received more of a portion while others were being neglected of the portion that was being divvied out in that assembly. Some people would, would suppose that the Grecians were outsiders 
that there were non-believers and, and, and so on. And, and sometimes people take this verse to say, okay, well, we can start orphanages and start caring for the poor and going down there and ministering to the homeless or whatever, which would be good, but those, th- those are good deeds, but these people were members of that assembly. Yeah. So one group of the assembly was having favoritism shown toward them while the other part of the assembly was being neglected or deprived. That favoritism, preferential treatment, preferential unfair treatment at the expense of another. So if I, if I have $9 and I say, okay, I, I'm going to divvy it out to my kids. If I give one of my children $6, then you can see how it would be unfair to the other three, the other two, rather. You see that, right? So preferring one, thus neglecting the others. And it ought not be so. And I, I don't believe that this that is a, a, a problem here, so I'm not going to spend much time on that. But be careful that there's more than one way to neglect people in our ministration. Okay? So while we're not handing out dollar bills and cans of soup and that kind of stuff to one another, we may, in fact, neglect ministration of our time, our resources, our prayer, and those types of things. So be careful that, that we don't spend so much time with one party in this in this assembly and not with others. Obviously, I'm going to spend more time with my wife than I do with anybody else, right? But I should not, in the ministration of my time and effort and resources, I should not spend more time with one person or one group and leave others neglected. See what I'm saying? So as, as we, and I don't have a new one up here, but we have a calendar up here. As, as those Friday afternoons pop open, it wouldn't be right for me to spend every Friday with Brother Adam and, and not spend any time with anybody else. Does that make sense? So be careful. There's more than one way we can, uh, we can neglect others in our ministration while we're, while we're ministering to others. So that's, that's one point that I did want us to see. And what that can do is that can cause factions. Factions and fractions, okay? So separate groups within a group. Brother Jerry Dotson told me years ago that he went to, to go speak at, at, a, at, at a, a, a sister church. And, and when he went in, he said, what's going on here? And the host pastor said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you, you have these different groups and everything. How come they're not getting together? And the host pastor wasn't aware of it at all whatsoever. Well, the reason that had happened is there were two churches in town, and, and one of them dissolved and just merged into the other. They accepted the other group as part of their membership, but in the building, there were obvious two different congregations in that building. They, there was one that, that had more than the other. There was, there was, a, there was a, a, a favoritism among the groups toward one another. That can happen in smaller churches when you start talking about families and you start talking about age differential and that kind of stuff. Um, You know, younger people are just going to have more in common with younger people and and certain people of different things. But we must be careful to avoid fractions and factions within the assembly, taking care to do that. So please make yourselves available to one another. and, 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 And I believe you do, and I don't think that's a problem here either. But we should guard against it, okay? Um, now you see here that was the need, the need. The next you see a, a commitment. Okay, so verses. Let's read down through the rest of the passage here in verse seven. Then the twelve called the then the twelve called the multitude. The twelve there being the apostles called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of honest, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. I want to stop there just for a moment. The title of this lesson is Seven Men. Seven Men. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. The word of God And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So seven men. So they had a problem. We see, we see the need there. They needed to straighten these things out, and even the table. So you see here, when you see a need, next you see the commitment. Okay. So if we had a mission statement, it would be the Lord's charge to his assembly in Matthew chapter 28, the mission statement. Okay. So no matter what happens... In this assembly, we are to go forth preaching and teaching the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're to continue in all things such as he has commanded, relying on that promise that he would be with us until the end of the world or end of the age. They had a commitment. No matter what the solution was going to be of this need, of the, of the neglect and the ministration, no matter what the solution was going to be, it would include them continuing in the word of God. Verse 2. Then, the, then it said, we should not leave the word of God and serve tables. He's not saying tables shouldn't be served. He's saying, they're saying we should not leave the word of God no matter what. When you read the book of Philippians, though we starve, the word of God continues, right? Paul said he became all things to all people. He said that to the church of Corinth. But in the book of Philippians, he, 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 he talked about how being brought high and brought low. right? He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So no matter what, they had a commitment to the word of God. And there are several things that we can be busy about. We can be busy about fellowships. We can be busy about domestic stuff. We can be busy about stuff. And we can be busy. We can have a monthly sing-along. We can do all kinds of stuff. But one thing we cannot do is say... We're leaving the word of God to do something else. I know of a pastor of a false assembly around here that that he said, okay, yeah, we were having services and everything was going and everybody was in the spirit and they were singing and we just decided we weren't going to have preaching today. We're just going to have what they call a worship service. They left the word of God to sing and be entertained. He's... The apostles say we should not leave the word of God. So no matter what else happens among us, we cannot, we cannot, God help us, we cannot leave the word of God. Our business can never take us or cause us to forsake the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we can go out and hand out bottles of water when it's hot. And we can hand out bags of candy during the parades. And we can do all kinds of stuff. We can be cheerful people. We can do all kinds of stuff. But we can never leave the business of the gospel. He also said their commitment in verse 4. Look at that again. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word of God. We already covered the ministry of the word of God. The, the, the delivering, the servitude in the word of God. Also, we must be committed being a people of prayer. It's good to serve tables. But he's saying we cannot forsake prayer 
to serve tables. Prayer is a worshipful petition unto God. It's, it's, it's an adoration of God. It's communion with the Lord, giving thanks unto God in prayer and in supplication. It's acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you follow the sample prayer, our Father which art in heaven, it's an acknowledgement of Jesus Christ being our, our brother under, the, under God himself, being the Son of God. He has made us sons of God. It's an acknowledgement that we do have relationship with God in Jesus Christ, that he is a sustainer of us, and, and he does hear us. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement of his favor and his care and his mercy and his kindness that he would hear us. It would be ridiculous for us to pray knowing that he wouldn't hear us. I was uh, taking a trip with uh, Lucian LeSage years ago, and we were in a hotel, and he asked me a question, and I spent a while giving him an answer. And when I paused, he didn't say anything. Then he comes out of, out of the, the restroom and says, oh, I'm sorry, I took my hearing aids out. Well, you know Lucian the Sage, he can't hear thunder without his hearing aids. It's ridiculous to try to talk to somebody who can't hear you. But knowing that God hears should be such an assurance of, of the child of God that we would never desire to be neglectful in our prayer, that we would step aside for prayer to be busy about the, the, the items of the day. I know, I know, and I've talked to other ministers about this, and sometimes struggle comes in our, in our studies. Well, given time to prayer in the Word of God is essential. You cannot leave off prayer and, and expect to have any success in the Word of God. Prayerfulness. And so they, they combine those two things. We must be a people then committed to the gospel and a people committed to prayer. Whatever the answer, the answer to the problems are in our lives, we must be a people committed to the gospel and a people committed to prayer. He says ministry, and that that in the ministry mentioned there in verse four, I believe that's for emphasis. The emphasis. Now we could preach the gospel, and God doesn't save because I pray. He he saves Romans chapter ten by the preaching of the gospel, and the Spirit of God draws sinners unto Jesus Christ. It's, it's salvation is a work of God. It really is. So in our prayers, he emphasizes that the ministry, the ministry of the Word of God is to continue on. There's a, so there must be a commitment there. They also, you see the, some responsibility in verse 2. So you've got the need, the commitment, now the responsibility in verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What is this business? The ministry of tables. But you see there the responsibility. A problem was identified and presented. You got a really bad leader if some if a problem is presented and they say, ah, oh, it'll pan out. Just, just, just you know, if we forget it, if we just if we just ignore it, maybe maybe that'll maybe that'll solve it. It doesn't work. Okay, so if you're driving, you know, you're in the driver's seat and your engine light comes on. Is it real profitable for you to just ignore that engine light and just keep on driving and say it'll all work out? No, that could end in catastrophe. Doing that. No, a leader shows responsibility when there's a problem identified and presented. That something's got to be done about it. And notice that something being done about it. Is consistent with the ministry of the Word of God and prayer. 
So don't look in responsibility for solutions that are sinful. Okay? A true leader will show responsibility in the Word of God and prayerfulness toward God. When they gave this, this recommendation, do you think that they were doing this outside of prayer and outside of the Word of God? Absolutely not. These things are consistent, biblically consistent, to help widows and to help others and to be fair-minded and to hear people when they present a problem to you. Those are, those are biblical traits. A solution. A solution, prayerful and godly, was formed in the, by the leadership. Sometimes people in leadership position, they won't listen to the, the lowly people, the, the people that don't have such a standing. But I believe that it's apparent, apparent in the scriptures that of the multitude grumbling there, the apostles heard these things. And they, they didn't get defensive as sometimes people do, but they heard these things and they desired that this problem, this need be met. We have responsibilities. We do. You know, when I told you all I needed help uh, not long ago, I said, hey, look, I'm, I'm getting wore out. I need some help. Well, guess what? There's two men that said, okay, I'll do it. And whenever I'm out of town, there's another man that steps up and says, yeah, I'll do it. So helping one another, leaning on one another, seeing each, that there are needs among the group and people being willing and showing responsibility to help one another, that that's evidence of a, of a, of a spirit-filled, united, God-pleasing church. I believe that. We're to be problem solvers, solution finders, and loving people toward one another, helping one another. We're to be mindful of one another. So responsibility, the leadership, once that problem was identified, they said, okay, let's get a plan together. What was the solution? Seven men. Now, they could have had eight men. They could have had six men. They could have had 30 men, but they said seven men. We could try to make something really spiritual and really, you know, profound about that, but they said seven, so we'll leave it at that. Seven men. Thank God there are seven men. And we, we spent a long time looking at Philip a couple years ago. Remember that? What kind of man? The Philip study. We're not going to spend that kind of time today, but we are going to touch on some points. But you see in verse three, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honor support, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. At some, at some point, somebody's got to do it. Okay? Uh, Many people can identify a problem. There's a whole bunch of complainers out there. Many people can identify a problem or two or three or 10 or 20 or 30 and name everything that's wrong. But there's a far smaller number that consider themselves as part of the solution. Okay. I used to have a boss that anytime you would hear, a he wouldn't hear a complaint. He would not hear a complaint unless someone giving the complaint also had a solution how they were going to fix that problem. Oh, this is happening over there, but this is how we can fix it. You know, that type of thing. May God give us all a heart to identify in-house problems, but also a desire to be part of the solution. You know, if we, the uh, brother Sandalin gave us an example, and I'll try to shorten it here. Um, there's a guy, early 1900s, that would walk across Niagara Falls on a rope. And it was, it, I mean, he would walk all the way across, okay? He had this real long stick and he would walk across and he did it some 300 times. He did it with a wheelbarrow with bricks one time and, and everybody knew uh, the fame spread abroad uh, that, he could, that he, he could make it back and forth across Niagara Falls. So he comes out to the crowd. There's a big crowd there one day and he says, do you believe I can do it? And they say, yeah. Do you really believe I can do it? Yeah. So he tells one of the guys, get in the barrel. I said, no, I'm not going to get in the barrel. 
Well, everybody thinks that there is something can be done, but do we really want to be the one in the barrel to do it? There were seven men that were willing to get in the barrel. There may have been more, and I believe there were more men that were qualified, but there were seven men that were selected. May God give every one of us a heart that we would, yes, see in-house problems. You know, you can't provoke and love and good works unless we examine ourselves a little bit too, right? And when I mean in-house problems, starting with our own selves. I need help. Can you help me? That type of thing. But identifying problems, but also being part of the solution, not just pointing out flaws and faults, but being part of the solution. These people could have been really mad at the apostles. How could you let this happen? But, you know, when they asked for volunteers and they said, hey, look, point us these things out, these people out, there were people that stood up and the thing pleased the people. We're going to get to that. Be part of the solution. We should all be solution finders, problem solvers. Be part of the solution. And verse 5, excuse me, yes, verse 5a, look at the, the first part of that. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. That word please means they, they, everyone in the multitude, every single one, not one opposed, everyone accommodated themselves to the interests and desires of everyone else. Everyone was being agreeable. This doesn't mean they were being pushovers or they were being ignorant or just being led you know, but that, this means that, 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 that through sound reasoning and by the word of God and through prayer, it was, it was noted that there was a problem and this is a reasonable way to fix the problem. Harmony. It pleased them. Perhaps somebody else wanted to fill the post. You know, there are seven people that were named, seven men. Well, maybe number 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 on the list, they really wanted to do it. But for harmony's sake and for and 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 for, for to please to accommodate themselves to the group, they, they they submitted themselves to the group. Sometimes that's hard, especially in Sovereign Grace Landmark Missionary Baptist churches. Everybody wants to have their way and their say. You could ask a hundred people how to do something. You have a hundred and five different uh, uh, different recommendations. Maybe somebody else wanted to be in the post. Perhaps someone. Uh, like a Hebrew said, no, I kind of like how things are, how I get, you know, X amount, uh, and, and, and I don't want to get less, even though it means one of these Grecians gets a little more, what would be fair. Maybe somebody liked how much they were getting and didn't want to do it. Yet, the saying pleased the multitude. They were pleased to be the servants of one another, making sure everyone else was being taken care of. They were, they were pleased to hear sound wisdom from the apostles. They were pleased that there were seven men. And when we look at the qualifications of these men, it really should please us that God has, has saved and set apart such men under, under, his, under his work, as we see here in the text. It pleased them. Unity and harmony. You, you look at in Psalm 133. Um, when we first started coming over here, the first weekend, Chris and I came over by ourselves um, I think it was the first, if not, if not the first, one of the first. Brother Gary taught out of Psalm 133. He said, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his apron, his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mount, mountains of Zion, for, the, for there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore. Now, we're not going to get into all that, but it is good and pleasant. Well, you know what it's like to be in disunity or disharmony. How pleasant it is for 
brothers to dwell in unity. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. So that means me, that means you, and means everyone else in this room. With all lowliness and meekness, again, me, you, and everyone else, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. If, if I was what I ought to be, you wouldn't have to forbear me. And if you were what you ought to be, I wouldn't have to forbear you. That means that love covers a multitude of sins, as it says in the book of James, and we would draw unto Christ loving one another. Endeavoring, that means putting effort into it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I believe that's exactly what happened, and it seems as though it is in Acts chapter 6. That they, regardless of their personal interest or feelings, they desired harmony. The saying pleased the whole multitude. It doesn't say part of the multitude. It says the whole multitude. Everyone went along with it. So these seven men, look at their qualifications. In verse 3, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out. That look out, look ye out phrase that means they're subject to examination, inspection, and scrutinize. You scrutinize these people. Don't take their word for it and don't read their, their CV or their resume. They do CVs now instead of doing resumes. Don't, don't, don't look at their resume and don't hear about it, but you scrutinize these people. Are they qualified? And here's the criteria of qualification. He says, seek ye out among you seven men. Okay? Now, as much as people want to, well, as much as women want to put themselves as pastors, and Sister Debbie was telling me yesterday that she met a, a woman that was an interim pastor and, 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 and put themselves in leadership roles and all that kind of stuff, there are certain roles that men are to have, and, and of those roles, leadership specifically in the Lord's assembly. Okay? Leadership in the Lord's assembly. Men, not males, men. And there's a big difference. There's a whole bunch of people that are males and they're 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They never grew up and they never become men. He's saying men, not people, not females, not children, men. Men. Choose ye out seven men. Well, of those, what are, what are the characteristics? An honest report, he says. Keep reading verse 3. Choose ye out seven men of honest report. That means uh, it, uh, a testimony of Jesus Christ within and without. Honorable, an honorable witness and testimony within and without. What kind of person are they in the assembly? What kind of person are they in their lives, in their jobs, in their goings in and their comings out? What kind? Of, wh who are they? Examine them. You know, if, they, if, they, if, they're, if they're felons, no, they don't have an honest report. You know, if, 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 they have a, if they don't pay their bills, no, they don't have an honest report. So people of an honest report, sure, but there's lots of people that have an honest report out in the world, spiritual, full of the Holy Ghost. And at that time, the Holy Spirit, would they would have been able to witness spiritual gifts. Okay, uh, I don't believe we have spiritual gifts as they had in those days. They, they were given special gifts at that time. It seems as though in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that the gifts of the Spirit, such as tongues and prophecy and all that stuff, it has ceased because of the completion of the Word of God. Moving forward, they're not called deacons here. 
But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you can read verses 8 through 13. You can read on your own time the qualifications of a deacon, that they got to be sober and teachers and, and, and living lives that, that are consistent with spiritual living. This is, these are the ground, these, these are, they're not called deacons here. This is the groundwork for the deacon office, though, to, to be a help to the ministry. There are a lot of um, assemblies that the pastor reports to the deacon board. That's upside down from what the Bible teaches. The pastor and it does not report to the deacon board. The deacons are placed, or these seven men are placed, that the word of God would not be left off, neither would prayer. They're to give a help and a relief to those apostles so that they can do their work. So the, the office of a deacon is a supplement, not an overseer, but a supplement to those that are broadcasting the gospel, specifically those that are that are preachers, teachers, and pastors. Full of the Holy Ghost. Also says full of wisdom, the application of godly knowledge in the affairs of life. They would have access to the lowly, the needy, and the widow. These people that had real problems and needed daily ministration. Okay? So if someone was not full of wisdom, they could no doubt give very bad advice to these people. If someone was low on wisdom, they could no doubt take advantage of people in a state of crisis and perhaps ask a little bit of extra going back and forth. But these people would be in a position to counsel those without wisdom. And, and because if they had wisdom or if they had those around them that could supply, they wouldn't need ministration. So we need responsible, wise-hearted full of the Holy Spirit men to, to fill these roles. These are also men that can take an appointment. Okay, So I'll keep reading there, verse 3. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. People that can take an appointment, that is being set and as administer of an office by someone who is in charge, somebody who can listen, pay attention, and follow directions. Okay? So there's a lot of guys that just simply can't follow instructions. They want to do their own thing. You can't tell them what to do. Is that who they wanted in this role? No, they wanted people that when they told them to do something, that's what they were going to do. Dependable, reliable, someone that is appointable. You know, we sometimes people get appointed to an office and and then they don't do the things that are that are necessary for that appointment. Or they, they lack the skills of that appointment to do those things. They get in over their heads. They, they, they get uh, uh, promoted beyond their level of skill or care. Now, these people, they were to be examined prior to. They were to be already living like this. And then once appointed, trustworthy in the post. They were to be men of business. Men of business. In verse 3, again, a point over this business. That means men of necessity, men, men of duty, men of employment to a charge. Both to have the will and the mind to do it, to see the business and to do it. Something needed to be done and they were to do it. Not think about doing it, but do it. Doers. Not being hearers of the word or the charge, but doers also. Also being men full of faith. Verse 5, and saying, pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. So what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11 is the best definition I know of. Hebrews 11, and this is consistent with look ye out. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the stuff 
the evidence of things not seen. When James says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by works, the stuff and the evidence, what is the proof of faith? Well, faith is the proof of the work of God. So when people are full of faith, they're looking for men of substance, men, men of proof of the knowledge of God Almighty. The conviction of truth and evidence thereof. There was evidence thereof. So these men, what's the application of these qualifications? Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Seven men were chosen. Seven. Now, thus these qualifications were both reasonable and attainable. These men, and they were reasonable and attainable only in Jesus Christ. Understand that. All men by birth are, are base and low and sinners and worthy of nothing. No man is worth anything but, but judgment outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But thank God, with the Lord Jesus Christ, there are such men. There are, there are men. And I think that is a wonderful thing. Now, these men were qualified before the, their, the need was known. They were qualified before Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, They were qualified. So there may have been more qualified men. Just like in Acts chapter 1, when they were trying to fill the, that last post as an apostle, there were two men that were named, but one man was appointed as an apostle. It may have been that there were hundreds that were qualified. I don't think that only seven were qualified, though that may be the case. But thank God that God does preserve his people, and he does have men that meet such qualifications, that can be examined, that do have honest report, that are full of the Holy Spirit, that have wisdom, and can take an appointment, be about business, and they're full of faith. That should be the desire of every child of God, and that should be a desire of every man of God specifically. Specifically. So these seven men. Look in verse 6. These seven men now, okay, so the saying pleased the whole assembly, okay? And in verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, when they, laid, they prayed, they laid hands, their hands on them. Now you have authority, okay? So you have a local assembly that, that God Almighty, Jesus Christ, had, had authored, he, he had begun, and now they're practicing authority within granting these other men authority of office. We cannot lay aside the importance of church authority, and, and that's one thing that people miss through the book of Acts, is church authority. Laying on in hands was, is, and, and, and continues to be customary in the insta installation of a work. You look in Acts chapter 13, when, when Paul was sent on from Antioch, they prayed, they laid hands on him, they sent him on. That's right. Okay? When, when Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 1, he tells him not to neglect the laying on of hands. There, there was an authority, that, that or, a part of an ordination service, that they declared Timothy fit and capable to the work of being a pastor and was installed but by authority. It wasn't Paul's authority. If it was Paul's authority, Paul is nowhere in, in Acts chapter 6. Some people think that the gospel started with Paul. Paul is nowhere in Acts chapter 6. These men were already qualified for the work. Their work was authorized by the Lord's church. The apostles laid hands on them because the saying pleased the multitude. It's not apostolic authority, right? It's church authority. 
If it's apostolic authority, then the authority died some 2,000 years ago. It's church authority. Perhaps others were qualified, but they were not authorized. Nobody laid their hands on them to the work. There may be believers all over, but they are not all authorized unto the work. Many love, love, quote, love church truth, so they say. But what a privilege, what a terrible responsibility, what a great responsibility. Almost immediately, we're going to read in chapter 7 that Stephen was, or chapter 6 through chapter 7, Stephen was stoned to death. What a responsibility it is to be set aside for a work in the Lord's assembly. But you see the authority there. These people did not authorize themselves to a work. Authority that was given to this assembly by Jesus Christ himself, the assembly that is in Jerusalem, they, they had authority given to them by Jesus Christ himself, and they exercised that authority, granting these seven men their, that, 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 that designation as, as helpers in the work there. They exercised that authority. They did not lay hands on someone outside of the assembly. We don't lay hands on people outside of the assembly. We don't lay hands on people that, that are unfit to a work. No, but when, lay, when hands are laid on, it is a, is a designation of, of authority, of, of approval of authority. How well do we love the Lord's assembly? Well, how well do we exercise the authority that he's given us? Given us? That's, that's a question we should ask ourselves. So the results, okay, the results. Verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So what are the results? Okay, you had a, you had a need, okay? You had a need, you had a commitment, you had the responsibility, you have a solution, you have harmony, you have qualifications, you have men chosen, you have authority exercised. What are the results? The word of God increased. It spread. So whatever we're doing, we should continue spreading the word of God. And God will be with his people in doing so. Okay? So the results, the word of God is spread. What happens when the word of God is spread? Well, the Lord saves his people such as pleases him. That's what happens. Even the religiously unsaved people who are violent and arrogant, and they, 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 they put their hands even on the Son of God himself, they were converted. He sin, saves the sinfulest of people. Those are the results. So then, children of God, what should be our expectations? Moving forward, what are we supposed to do? Well, because authority was was evident in this passage and the Lord, he promised in Matthew 28 to be with his assembly until the end of the age, his authority exists on this earth somewhere. I believe I'm in a place where it exists. What, do we, what, what, what more would we want? What should we do? Are there any problems? Some, sometimes you, you might think, oh man, just logistically these problems are getting in the way well sometimes that can happen we can have a a problem we could have a problem perhaps we could have a problem with among ourselves and it keep us so busy about our problem that we leave off the word of god and the ministry and praying and, and delivering the gospel unto sinners what should be our expectation if we have any problems to fix them right we should identify any problems, seeking godly solutions. That way our problems do not hinder us in the gospel, in the ministry of the word of God, and in prayer in any way. May we particularly then, as men, 
Be considered tools in the hand of God Almighty and willing to be servants unto him. May we seek the broadcasting of the gospel, never leaving the word of God. May we desire through the increasing and spreading of the gospel that souls be saved. May we desire that for the glory of God, this assembly increase in number. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Oh, don't you know that Satan, just as much as Satan would have loved in that controversy in Acts chapter 1 to split that church in half over that office of, of an apostle, don't you know that, the, that Satan would have loved to split that early church in half because of favoritism happening? And it was happening, favoritism happening in the assembly and hurt feelings. And, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe I should have been one of the seven, that type of thing. No, we should desire for the glory of God we should desire for the glory of God to live in harmony as we broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should expect the Lord to give the increase. Not hope, expect it. Okay? And what I mean by hope, oh, I hope so. You know, no, expect it. He's, he, Jesus Christ died for his people. He will save his people. I don't know who they are, but he, he, ha, he will save them in time. We should expect great things from the Lord. So, these seven men... It mentions their names, and their names are important, but they're all the handiwork of God. Yeah. And the things that they did and who they were, again, is the handiwork of God. Where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. So what do we say, children of God? Let's identify any needs. Sometimes we can have some blind spots and don't think we have any needs. Maybe we do. In a lowly, meek, and loving way, Give ourselves some consideration. What needs do we have? We should, above all else, be committed to the gospel and in prayer. We should, we should pray for one another. But I ask you, in that there was, there was a responsibility that was seen directly for the apostles. I'm not an apostle. I am the pastor, though. And I ask you to pray for me in that responsibility, that in a godly way that I would lead. Because you're, you're not my heritage, you're the Lord's heritage. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm to take the oversight. Pray for me in that responsibility that I would do it after a godly sword. We should look for godly solutions. We should seek harmony in the Lord. We should look out one another and examine one another and not take that personally. Be thankful about it, that we are to provoke one another in love and good works, but examine one another, whether we be fit for the case. In practicality, we're to note the qualified... Paul said that to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3. I'll read that to you. Philippians chapter 3. And he didn't say this in a bragging way, neither do I. But he did say it. Philippians chapter 3, in verses 17 through 21. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. We'll stop there. So th there's two kinds of people, enemies of the, of the gospel and those that we'd have for an example. Pray for such that are qualified and, and note them. Embrace church authority. It's Christ's authority. So people get upset about church authority and they forget it's Christ's authority. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. It's God's authority that the church exercises. So while we exercise God's authority, we should do it with, tr with trembling, knowing of what case it is. 
but also knowing this isn't this isn't old Joe's authority and old Adam's authority and old Gary's authority. This is God Almighty's authority. The same God that spoke and the worlds existed. The same God that his light shined out of darkness and now shines in your hearts, Colossians chapter 1. That same God created a, a, an institution he calls his church, and it has the authority of God in it. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. That's, that should give us pause with our authority. We are to then embrace it and live unto it with great responsibility. We're to expect the results of Scripture. The gospel is preached, sinners are saved, they're added to the assembly. He promised that would happen until the end of the age. We should expect that all by the power of God, not by my power. It wasn't by Peter's power these people were saved. It's not by my power anyone's saved, but by the power of God. We should have those expectations. Sinner, I want you to hear the gospel again. You are a sinner. And by the fall and by choice and by daily deeds, you sin against the living God. He deserves the judgment of God for sin. You have sinned against the holy God. You have offended him. You offend most human beings and they take vengeance. You have offended God and, and you should expect just reward of that. There is but one solution. And that Christ, and that is Christ died instead, that he would have taken the place of the sinner. He came to save his people from their sins. He took their place. He bore God's wrath. He died, was buried, rose again. He's coming back soon. And I mean soon. The book of Revelation says the time is at hand. I mean soon. He alone is the fit substitute. You can't pay for your sin and satisfy God. He alone satisfied the wrath of God. I encourage you to repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the God that rose from the dead. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. He is pleasing. Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That's the saying of the Father. Look to him alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.